Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Morning, church. Good to see all of you this morning. I'm thankful to be back. Uh, Thank you so much, church family, that you let me get away for about a week and uh, really spend a lot of time in prayer and ask the Lord some questions that have been kind of lingering on my heart that uh, I haven't been hearing from him. And he he had a lot to say to me while I was gone. Uh, Some of it was like, let's work on your pride a little more. Uh, He likes to do that with me. I don't know if he does that a lot with you, but humility apparently is a key, a key con- contribution that, like, that God likes to make in my life. But we're finishing up our series. I know a lot of you, uh, maybe this is the fir- first week you're joining us, and this one's going to feel like a bit of a fire hydrant for that reason. And so this is the last week of this series we've called Renovate. And the goal, the, the goal that I have for you, and, and somewhat it's kind of small, and I hope you can get your head around it and grasp, is that you would catch a vision for your own spiritual growth that you would catch or at least at a minimum make a commitment that I, I care about my spiritual formation. And I would begin to diagnose where I am, that I'm, I'm, I'm lacking in this area or that. But not only that, that we would, we would find a vision of spiritual formation for ourselves, but also for our church. And so I will admit this sermon is going to end different than just about any other week where I'm going to spend just a little time discussing what I I see God desiring for our church body and what he might have us do this year. And so I'm going to spend some time at the end doing that. But let's get into this idea of spiritual formation, personal, what it looks like to share those three loves that we just heard about that Jesus had. An upward, an inward, and an outward love. Something that maybe you've heard before, but I'm hoping you get a fresh insight today that this type of love is life-changing. This type of triad, unconditional love will change your life in in amazing ways, in ways that you probably cannot imagine. And it all begins with this verse that we've been wrestling with really the whole series. And this is the idea that we would keep our heart. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. This is why we would renovate. This is why we would spend time in spiritual formation because the Bible says countless times to keep your heart close to Christ, to keep it with all vigilance. Our hearts are the seat of our will, the place where decisions are being made all the time. Sometimes we don't even realize that the decisions we make actually come from a place of a broken heart that we've not even investigated or thought about. And so let's dig in there afresh this morning that our thoughts, our feelings, our relationships, ultimately our very souls are affected by our spiritual formation. Dr. Dallas Willard once wrote, A disciple is who Jesus would be if he were you. Who Jesus would be if he were you, doing your job, having your spouse, having your kids. And what would he be like if he were in your shoes completely? What does he mean by that? That means in everything we do, we think, what would it be like if Christ were walking in my shoes? Now, a couple of weeks ago, some of you were here. We we took a survey, which is odd. That's not something we typically do. If you were here that week, you were like, man, that was super uncomfortable. I just like took a break for 10 minutes and watched y'all write stuff. That was interesting. But we got some some information from that. We did this about a year ago, and we kind of wanted to see how people were if we'd added to our number, how that would change things. We had 
between our two campuses, about 280 people respond to this survey. We kind of made some of you do it, so yeah, there you go. But I want to just go through just a handful of these before we really dig into Ephesians chapter 4. So Nate, if you'll pop up the first. Um, What you're seeing here is, those who took the survey, it's familiar, but this is what came back, that the best described uh, personal understanding of Jesus is almost all of us said that Jesus is my Savior and Lord. But there was a couple of fascinating things there from people who responded. First of all, one skipped it. I don't know what that means. But somebody said other here, and that's going to break down a little more. Go to the next slide for me. When you profess faith in Jesus Christ, was that something that happened to you here within our local church or somewhere else? Well, that was kind of amazing to see that 20% of the people who responded got saved in our church. That's great. I mean, that's really amazing to think about that a good portion, a fifth, if you will, were saved here at our church. Continue. Next slide. How did you personally respond to these following statements? Here's what's interesting about this to me as much as anything is that uh, that, that category there, the very last one's the one I want to wrestle with a little bit today. If I were to die today, am I 100% sure that I would enter heaven? Now, I don't know if there's false humility in this statistic. Like People were like, should I say 100%? But the thing is, that's exactly what Christ wants. In, in the book of 1 John and in other places, I want you to have assurance of salvation. So when we have a, a, a decent percentage, about 8% of people going, I'm not sure. I don't know. That's something I'd like to consider. If that was you today, I don't know who's, on, who's behind this survey, but if that's you, I hope this sermon speaks to you. Continue. Next slide. Currently, how close do you feel to God? Seven and a half. Now, I don't know if any of us could say ten. Like, it's 10, you kind of go, man, I'm feeling really close, but can I ever say 10? But seven and a half, interesting. I want that number to rise. I want it to be different in my own life. Next slide. How consistently are you intentionally spending time with God in His Word and in prayer? Under seven. Those two things are linked, just so you know. If you were curious as to why the closeness feels seven and a half, it's because the intentionality is under seven. They're linked. Go to the next slide. Do you feel confident in your ability to read the Bible and engage with the Holy Spirit in a transformative way? I was thankful to see that number. That means outside of church, you guys can read your, your Bible, generally. But you'd like to grow there. How confident, or I feel confident in my ability to disciple others. This is where the stats started to lower, which is curious. Do I feel like I could disciple others? Do I feel like I can teach? Can I mentor? We're starting to see Perhaps a congregation that has a sense of closeness to God, has a sense that they can read for themselves, but isn't so sure they can disciple another. Keep going. What would you say to this statement? I not only know what my spiritual gifts are, but I'm currently using them to serve this local church and beyond. Seven, not bad. Not bad at all, but I'm I'm seeing a, a desire for growth there for sure. Continue. What would you say to this statement? I not only know my unique story of salvation, but I'm ready to share as God brings opportunities to me. Again, seven. So there's a, there's a sense there. We know that God calls us to give. We have some generosity at our church, close to seven. Keep going. Is there more or is that it? There we go. When it comes to your willingness to give financially... Those numbers are actually, I think, wonderful. Wonderful numbers to see. 24 people skipped that question on an anonymous survey. I found that fascinating. Just tell me, just 
Just say, I don't, I don't, okay, I don't know who you are. Okay, uh, keep going. How much do you f- personally feel that the Great Commission applies to you? That's, stay there for a second. I'm so thankful to be teaching a church and, and hopefully preaching to a church that you believe the, the Great Commission is for you. That's awesome. You understand that go and make disciples of all nations is a personal calling. That means we're doing something right, either from the pulpit or in our small groups or just in in one-on-one discipleship. I'm thankful for that number. However, there's something interesting about it. Go to the next slide. As we close the survey, one last question. When you think about the opportunities that God has given you for those unconvinced of the gospel, how happy are you that you're handling those opportunities under six? So you understand the gospel. A great many of you can read and understand the Bible for yourself. You're feeling the call of the gospel of the Great Commission in your personal life. However, you feel, and I feel at times, like you're wasting opportunities for gospel conversation. Fair enough. I'm happy to see these numbers. It tells me something about where we are, and it reminds me of me when I look at it. I go, I feel this myself. And I want to be different. Now, some things I want to unpack as we dig into Ephesians, and I'm going to pop up just a few more images, and y'all know I don't normally just unload on you like this, but hey, why not today? You visitors, it's not normally like this, but if you like it, I'll do more. Why not? All right, so pop up the next image. Perhaps some of these character descriptions describe you as we unpack that survey. Are you ha- do you happen to be Bible Belt Bob? All right, Bible Belt Bob has been a Christian a very long time. However, he doesn't really know how to read his Bible or hear from God himself. Sometimes he gets a touch from the Holy Spirit when he's at church, maybe in worship. Maybe sometimes the pastor will get him going, but he's having difficulty on his own. He doesn't know how to tell his own personal grace story, and he certainly lacks some spiritual zeal. This is a lot of people around here. You've met a lot of Bible Belt Bobs, and maybe that's you today. Here's the good news. God's not done. You're not in heaven. You've not been taken home, so he's not done. He's got a plan for you, and perhaps it's time to catch a vision. Get a VIM. This is an acronym for vision, intention, and means. Get a vision for your life fully surrendered to God. I want to be God's son. I want to be his daughter. I'm tired of just moping through life. I don't want to look like that that face there. Intention. I have an intention to grow, and I have the means to start. We all have those means. Keep going. Undiscipled Dana. If, if you're Bob or Dana today, I just these are random, okay? I wasn't like, I, if I was thinking of you, I'm not, never going to tell you that, all right? Undiscipled Dana. Christian for, for quite some time, but doesn't know how to lead someone else to faith in Jesus. Doesn't really know how to disciple or to be a disciple. Just not an experience that you had in your life. And sadly enough, this is a ton of people. Because for some reason, for like, 40 years or so, our church got extremely, the church culture got really, really good at making converts. Like, let's just reach people for Jesus, and the passion there is great. I understand the zeal in that. However, Jesus said, go make disciples. And we failed somewhere on that journey, and we're trying to come back from that as church culture, if you will. So there's a lot of people who have never been truly discipled. They don't understand how to unpack their Bible because no one taught them. And they certainly don't know how to pass it on. If that's you today, we have something we do together. 
And we want to do better at this. Maybe if some of you have signed up for this before and we've not started with you, sign up again today. Talk to me afterwards. Let me hear it if you're mad. I'm, I'm fine. I'm a big boy. Like if we, if we missed you, and I'm sure there's a few of you. In fact, I'm confident of at least one of you. So I'm going to hear it later. Remind me. Get discipled. Not just so that you can receive it, but the blessing is in teaching. The blessing is, is in discipling. You don't know how much fun this is. Keep going. Next slide. Satisfied Sally. That seems great, right? I want to be satisfied Sally. However, this is a person that's just content where they are. Doesn't see the need for Christian fellowship. Has good spiritual maturity, but it's just, I'm good. I'm happy where I am. Let us just totally monkey with your system. Can we do that with you? Like if you're satisfied Sally, sign up for a small group. Start serving somewhere in the church. I would especially say, sign up for something you know. I don't think that's going to work for me. Do it anyway. And see if the Lord will, will spread you and, and shift you and help you to grow and help you to start to see, wait a minute. I'm convinced none of us should ever be satisfied, Sally. Until God takes me home, he's not done with my growth. So I'm unsatisfied about where I am until I'm with him. And I don't mean that negatively. I just, I'm confident I don't look like Jesus. And I'm not going to look quite like him tomorrow. I just hope I look more like him tomorrow. Next slide. Unsure Sean. 8% of the people on this survey said, I don't know. I don't know what happens after this life. You know what I believe? Christ Jesus, more than anything this morning, wants you to be sure. Wants you to know that you know that you know that his payment on the cross was more than enough. And there's nothing you've done to ruin that. No matter how horrible. If Christ Jesus can look to the man beside him on the cross who doesn't show some miraculous, like, I repent of all my sins. He just says, hey, remember me when you go there. Jesus says to that man today that you'll be with me in paradise. If that is enough faith, my friend, you can be sure. You can be sure. Keep coming. Keep hanging out with us. It is our desire, along with Christ Jesus, that you would be sure. I can't wait to dig into this scripture today. This is probably a familiar one to, 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 write, to write many of you. But I pray you catch a fresh vision, not just for what the church should be doing and what people around you should be doing, but your personal spiritual formation. Did you know that God cares so much about where you are with Him? He, he longs to be in community with you. It's fascinating that the Creator God of the universe would want so much to spend time with me and you. It baffles me all the time. And that he might wake me up just a little bit early, just a little before my alarm. And I might look at that and go, okay, maybe you should get five more, more minutes of sleep. And instead I get this sensation that God's like, I woke you up early on purpose, my friend. Because I long to be with you. I desire your, your, your presence. Why would God be that way if it's not that just he is overwhelmingly loving and gracious to us. Let's dig into Ephesians today. I believe we're going to see several ways for sure that we can catch a fresh vision for being built up in love, grow up in spiritual maturity in Christ Jesus. I believe the text is going to give three clear ways to catch a vision, to be built up in love and grow up in spiritual maturity in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11 through 16. The Apostle Paul writes, And he gave... The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. 
For what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, I want to pause for a moment and just establish something. Who's doing the work of the ministry? The saints. Is it the apostles, the teachers? Sure, they're doing the work, but their main task is what? To equip the saints. That's us. That's all. That's the church. We're the saints. We're doing the work of ministry. Going on, verse 13. Until we all obtain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wave of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined together, held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God bless the reading of His Word. Amen. What a church. I want to be that church. The church that isn't tossed to and fro, but is building up into the head, which is Christ. How can we do this together? Certainly by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be built up to maturity in Christ's love. First, by getting that first love right, and that is growing up in the faith and knowledge of Jesus. The first way, growing up in the faith and knowledge of Jesus. This, I know, is probably something that is kind of rudimentary to you. But it bears repeating that if Jesus made sure to get first things first, we certainly should, should follow. The first thing he did was get with the Father. The first thing, the first commitment he seems to make in life is to walk with the Father. Is to pray. Is to study. Is to spend time with God. And that's certainly where we must begin. It's, it's, it's fascinating to me that we would have all of these things we're wrestling with and relational issues and, and wanting and desiring to be spiritually mature and desiring that we would really know what it means to walk with God and yet having all of that passion and zeal and not spending the time necessary with the, with the Lord to even know Him. How can you possibly know His will for you? How can you possibly know where He's sending you, what He would have you do, if you don't take time to conversate? I have no clue what my wife wants half the time. I find that men are fairly simple, but women can be very confusing. Um, and you, maybe you don't think so, but, but lady, I'm just telling you, if, if you think, oh, we're easy, like, just consider your own thoughts today, uh, which are going to be some spider web of chaos. And, and God made you that way, and there's a piece, there's obviously an aspect of God that is in you, and I'm, I'm thankful for you, but... If I don't talk to my wife, if I don't have conversation with her, I guarantee you this, I have no clue what she's thinking, and I definitely don't know why she's mad at me, right? But she is. If I've not been talking to her, if she's told me something, or, or she's expecting something, and if I've not made any effort, I'm in trouble probably. And to be fair, to be fair, if she does me that way, I'm not pleased either. Because conversation is key to the relationship. We have to understand each other. I cannot read your mind. And you can't read mine. 
And what's crazy is every once in a while, I might be a little angry. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to go ahead and just suppress it. I'm going to put it way down until I can't put it way down anymore. And the reason is because it's been piling. And eventually I just can't keep it. And it just comes out. But if we would talk. And God who's perfect, who doesn't hold grudges. This God who loves us in spite of us. He can't communicate. He can't speak to us unless we show up. Unless we come to the table. It's like, God, when am I going to get to a place too where I just go, you know what? I'm here not for what you give. I'm just here for you. I'm just here because you're a great God. That's a better place. If you've not gone there yet, it's better. Because I admit, there's lots of times I come to the Father, I come to Jesus saying, hey, I've got a mess in my life. I don't know how to parent. I don't know how to be a good husband. I certainly don't know how to be a good pastor. I don't know what to do in this next step. I don't know where you're leading me. I don't know where to go to school. I don't know who to marry. I don't know what to do next. And those are all so important. In fact, you should be praying those things all the time to the Lord. But you know what's even better? God, I've come here just just to hang out. Who are you? What are you like? What are you speaking into my life right now? Yeah, I want you to answer all these things. I want to know your will for me. And I really want to know these very important questions. However, can I get to a place where I just find you beautiful? I just find being with you is enough. It's a better place. It's a better place. That's the place Jesus is. That's the place he's calling us to. He says in verses 11 through 13, these amazing things. He starts off by saying that Christ himself gave us five offices. That he's put a gifting, I believe, in every church. To some, perhaps he's given two or three of these gifts. But to every church, I believe he's equipped it. Even our little church, look around you. This is actually a pretty full Sunday. We've had some Sundays lately where I preach to a couple people. And you know what? I don't mind. Because that's what I'm supposed to do. And I'd love to fill the room, not for my glory, but for his. I'd love to fill the room because I I think God can can use me. I think we can do something great together. But he can do it if he wants to do it. I'm preaching either way. But today we're pretty full. And if you look around the room, you know what I think is amazing? The apostles, the teachers, the prophets, the evangelists, they're here. And perhaps they're not motivated yet, but they're here. Or maybe they're passionate and just waiting for the, all right. Put me in, coach. Five gifts he gives to each church. Apostles, teachers, prophets. Apostolos here means one sent. Now, I will say this. Capital A Apostle, at least my understanding of Scripture here, is that office has now ceased. That is the one, if we're speaking of capital A Apostle, who has seen the risen Lord, who goes on to be a writer of Scripture. That is a certain type of Apostle, right? But the gifting of Apostle is still given. And that would be perhaps the type who has the gift of of missionary or church planning, an entrepreneur, if you will, the one who is willing to be the first to step foot on such ground, to be the kind of person who might say, I'm going to Siberia. That's a ridiculous desire, but God puts that on some people. That's what Brother Nathan's wanting to do with his life. Charity has so far said yes to that. Hey, praise God for you too. I guess that's what Nathan's doing right now is getting ready for cold Siberia. You might need a longer beard for that. But. <laughs> but I guess in a sense, anybody, anybody who feels a desire to plant something new, to start something, try something, that could, be, that could even be something that we do as a church that we just haven't tried yet. That's an apostling kind of gifting. 
The gift of, of prophecy, and, and the office in a sense has ceased with the canon of the New Testament, but the gifting is still given. This is the idea of like forth, I like to say it this way, it's less now about foretelling and more about forthtelling. That there are people who have the gift of expositing and exposing divine truth. And the people with a high gift of prophecy are probably in your life, and then they're ones that are, make life uncomfortable for you sometimes. They're the kind of people who see what's wrong and are willing to tell you. <laughs> Those are prickly people, some, but you better be thankful for them. Those are the kind of friends that will tell you the truth. And if you don't have those kind of friends in your life, you're walking on some thin ice. I'd rather have some people that know what's true and will tell me. Evangelists, euangelios, the messenger of good news. There, this is an interesting gift. It's one I've often looked at and gone, oh, haven't we all in a sense been given the gift? No, we haven't all been given the gift of evangelism. We've all been called to the Great Commission. When it seems our church is understanding that. But there's a certain group of people who are just Holy Spirit touched. Like, all I do, all I want to do, I live, breathe, and just want to reach people. Like, I'm, I, all I want to do in life is just reach people with the gospel. And those people are called to do what? Equip the saints. All right, help us who don't have that same level of zeal, that God-inspired zeal. Inspire us. Equip us to do what you're doing. Those people are in this church. I'm not sure the Lord gave me high E, if you will. I'm kind of the prickly prophet, if you will. <laughs> Maybe a little bit apostle. I hope shepherd. But maybe I'm not great at that all the time. But certainly he called me to it. That's poi men there. The leader, the feeder, the protector of the flock. Often translated pastor. And then teacher. When I take these like tests on this five gifting, and some of you may have done this in your past, I am highest teacher. That's apparently the thing. And that's pretty true. You know what I love doing most? Y'all might think this is totally strange. My favorite thing to do is prepare a sermon and preach it. I love it. I love it so much. Wednesdays, for me, I don't want to miss Wednesdays. That's my study day. I like writing that thing. I like studying the Word and, and, and finding these words that you guys are like, oh my gosh, he's reading Greek to us again. I get in there and go, oh, this gold. I have this gift, it seems. Maybe you don't. You have the ones I'm lacking. Praise God for you. God has given the fivefold gifting. Why? That we would equip the saints, that all of us together, some of us aren't teachers, some of us aren't shepherds, but those gifts are here, and we're called to equip one another that we, as the body of Christ, would represent Jesus to a community, to this city of Rocky Mount, which is a hot mess. That we would show it off so well by equipping one another for ministry. For the knowledge of the Son, that's verse 13, that we would have unity. That's what right looks like, that we start saying, all right, I can tell you've got something I don't have, and I want it. Equip me. Help me. And that, that would guide us towards unity, guide us toward this fascinating thing he says in 13, that we would mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That, that's, what, that's what we're aiming at. That's what right looks like. I want to reach the stature of Jesus. I want to imitate Christ Jesus in my life. Christ is the prototype. He's the firstborn from among the dead. He's the one I'm aiming at. Romans chapter 8 says, We know that God causes everything, in fact, to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew His people in advance. He chose them to become like His Son, to become like His Son, 
so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What does God want for you? If you're asking this question, I can answer it simply, generally, this way. He wants you to be more like Jesus. That's a fact. He cares so much more that you're looking more like Jesus than he cares that, oh, man, I'm a little uncomfortable today. Oh, I cannot believe I'm at this restaurant, and for some reason, the waiter is talking to me way too much. I just want food. You ever think just for a moment, pause just for a second, go, why is this waiter talking so much? Why is the cashier at the grocery store won't stop running her mouth? What's going on? God moments. Those opportunities that we scored under six on, those are it. And there are so many. There are so many. More than you can count. He's the prototype. Who do we want to be more like? Jesus. Submit yourselves, therefore, to the equipping, to the building up of your leaders, from your leaders, the Holy Spirit to and through you. 2 Peter 3 says, Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grow to the grace and knowledge of Jesus. It's interesting the way we kind of treat people within the church and the thing that I hope we as a church can really grow in. There's some things we don't expect of certain people. You know what I've noticed? I've observed this. And this might sound... Like, okay, Jonathan, duh. But like, when we first have a newborn, right? Or you've been around these things, right? You've been around these newborns? None of you? That's strange. Um, These newborns don't feed themselves very well. You've noticed this? Um, In fact, they don't even communicate what it is they need. They just whine and they pout and they carry on. And you have no, unless you're a mother, you have no idea what they're crying about. The mothers know all the, all the different tones. They get it. But I've never seen anybody immediately leave the hospital with a newborn and be like, all right, baby, dropping you off at the grocery store. Get you stuff, man. Get you some food. Cook it up later. None of us are that foolish. Like, we just, we don't do that. And that seems just retarded to even bring that up. Like, why would we even say that? Except that's exactly how we treat baby Christians. For some reason. Like, hey, I'm going to bring my buddy. I'm going to bring old Bible Belt Bob in here. I'm going to bring my friends in the church. And, my, and on the way home from church, they're like, you know, this Jesus thing, I got to know more. Like I, 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 gave my, I gave my life to Christ today. And maybe you get the opportunity to see that happen. And you're like, all right, awesome, dude. Hey, the grocery store's down the street. Bam! Go over there and find food. Learn how to find water and drink. And we do that. That's, that's, that's American Christian discipleship. Hey, welcome to the family of God, newborn. Good luck. The restaurants are somewhere around here. Good luck paying for them. We don't do that. We we, we simply don't take newborn babies. We should not take newborn believers and treat them so. Like, guess what? If you got the opportunity, here's a big call, my friend. If you got the opportunity to see someone come to Christ, maybe the opportunity, in fact, to lead them there, that's your baby. That ain't, that ain't my baby. Now, if you'll tell me, I'm like, I'm, I love that baby. I'll try to care for that baby. <laughs> but it's your baby. Don't drop it off at the grocery store and expect it to figure out how to eat. No, walk it in. Like, all right. It's going to take a little minute. This is, the, this is the thing that Paul saw. He said, you know, some of you still, have to, you, you still have to live on milk. You're not ready for spiritual solid food. And Paul saw that as an opportunity for growth. He didn't look at it and say, you guys need to straighten up. 
Everybody needs to be eating steak now. This is too much. No, he says some of you still need the milk because you're just not ready. This is how we disciple. We treat new believers and say, all right, we've got to walk them through the process. Let's assume this. You know what would be even better? Let's assume they know nothing. Let's assume they don't have a clue how to read a Bible, how to walk with Christ. Let's assume that and be surprised if it's not so. We do the same thing, too. It's interesting, like, those people who come into the ER, you never hear them just, like, get kicked out on the curb. Look, I, I rolled into the ER the other day, and I, I've, I've broken my arm, and they just, it's ironic. They just literally sent me out and said, hey, man, shake it off. They never do that in the ER. It's crazy. They treat you. And yet, for whatever reason, we do that, too, when people come into the church. It's like, you know what? I see that you have a broken arm there. You know, be well. God bless you. And that, okay, I love the sentiment. Like, God, God bless you. But instead of, like, coming in close. And I'm not talking about broken bones. I'm talking about people who roll in here who are dealing with deep, dark places in their life. They come in here broken mentally, physically, depression, anxiety. They come in here in deep sin, struggling with addiction. They come in this place expecting a hospital, and they get kicked out the door. God bless you. <laughs> That's not what we do. That's not what we're called to. That's not why God gives the fivefold gifting. Guess what one of the gifts is? Shepherd. You know what shepherds do? They go hunting for them weirdo sheep, those ones that keep fainting in the field, the ones that are like, hey, there's wolves. <laughs> you know, those are the shepherds. And those some of you. That's what you're called to. And I love that of all the things that God describes us as, He doesn't describe us as fierce lions or, or, you know, you guys are strong dogs, you're bears, you know. What does He call us? Sheep. Have you ever been around these creatures? I think He purposely made this creature the dumbest creature on the planet. It just is. You go home, go home today and YouTube dumb sheep or something. And you will find these, these goofy animals jumping in ditches and shepherds getting them out and they'll literally walk this way and go jump right back in the ditch. That's a, a foolish animal and that's what we are. That's what we're called and rightfully so. Because God yanks us out of canals all the time and we're like, I really like that soggy water. I really like it. I kind of like totally broke my ankle in there but I want to go back. That's us. He's calling us to shepherds. He's calling us to teach, to equip one another, that we would be a different kind of church. This is what church should look like. And I want to get it right. That if you come in this place and we find out as a family, this person's heartbroken, we would yank you from the ditch and do our best to walk with you as far as you'll let us walk. Church, this is a different kind of mission. And what he's called you and I to. That we would have a true heart for God. And it starts with this upward love. Wanting desperately the gifting and the equipping of the saints. And wanting God to know him. And to, to just understand him. And be in community with him. Here's the second way. First is growing up for sure. Second is growing in. These words are going to sound like duh. I mean we just heard them. Grow up. Grow in truth and love as Christ's body. This is where he goes towards the end of this passage, 15 and 16. He's talking about this idea of, he starts it with rather, with the truth and love. The word here in verse 15, truth, is a lefeo. It's actually a verb. Normally truth for us is a noun. This literally means rather truthing, which the only way we could translate would be speaking the truth. But it's the idea of that your life represents truth to others. 
that that's the kind of Christian you are. This, it, it has something to do with integrity, if you will, but it's not limited to simply speech. I understand the translation because you can't say true thing. That's not a good word. But really what Paul is saying is that your life would represent truth to others. What you say, sure, definitely, but also how you live, how you act, that Christ is, is evident in your life in everything, truthing. And that's what it looks like to grow up or grow in truth and love. Love here is this relational thing, this building a bridge, if you were. This is what I grew up, he- grew up hearing is you know, things like this. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's just facts. People don't really have any interest in the gospel until you've built a bridge. We, we always like to say this, and I don't know if my dad said it first, but I've heard it from him my whole life. He's build a, build a bridge of trust that bears the weight of truth. Build a bridge of trust that bears the weight of truth. That's what we're doing all the time. That we're winning people over first by our love and then sharing the truth. We build us. We build ourselves up as well. This is the idea of verse 16 is that within the church it is being built up to look more like Christ Jesus. As the body of Christ, Romans chapter 12, it says, For as in one body we are many members, and the members do not have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. This means we don't long so much to be the hand if we're not the hand, but we look at that and go, we need that. And so we're, we're really, in a sense, desperate to bring you into the folds so that we would work together because we need your skills. We need what God has done in you specifically for his purpose. Which, which brings a, a certain level of unity, I think, to our body. That we look at you totally different as, as God's opportunity for the gospel. Jesus says this, in fact, in John 13, to describe love. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I've loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. I like how this video we just watched kind of described that in a way. It kept using this phrase that to love in or to grow in has to do with your spiritual family. This, isn't, this piece of it is really not so much about how we do outreach, but how we do inreach. How good are we doing at being family? Boy, that's, that's an interesting question. You know, a way to ask it that would be kind of... I think a helpful one is, I don't mind sitting beside this guy at church, but I ain't sitting beside him at San Jose restaurant. Like, I'm good on that. He probably chews loud. He's probably a loud chewer, right? He seems to be not my my kind of people. Like, how willing are you to see each other outside of this place, right? Maybe you're in small groups together, and you're like, man, I got kind of, I got kind of stuck in that group. I got, I got stuck in that Tuesday night group. If I ever get the opportunity, man, I'm seriously going to move on. But right now, Tuesday night's the only night that works for me. But Lord, Lord, please open Wednesday nights for me so I can go be with the cool kids. I'm in Tuesday night right now, so I'm just picking on me. We're weird. My group, we're strange. You know why? Because every single one of y'all are strange. And so am I. I keep finding this out. You know what? The more you get to know people, they're weird. All of you have weird habits. God loves you still. So I guess I have to. So I'm going to do it. I can't wait to get with some people that are actually normal Christians, right? I want to be with the cool kids. They don't exist. And if they do, guess what you're going to do? You're going to screw it up. 
So don't go over there with the cool kids. You're going to make them uncool. All right? And it's simply not what Jesus did. Jesus does something that makes no sense. Let me go instruct and disciple some people to change the world with the gospel. And I'm going to pick fishermen. I'm going to pick tax collectors. You know, tax collectors are not the cool kids. They are hated. I'm going to pick a guy like Judas who I know is going to betray me. I'm still going to disciple that guy. That makes Jesus' plan makes no sense logically. But if it's to be applied to who we are, that we would understand really what it looks like to grow in, it's the best evidence ever. That Jesus said, all right, I'll show you guys. I'll pick some of the greatest knuckleheads of all time, and they'll change the world. Praise Him. Praise Christ for that. I praise Him on another level that He would use us at all. You know, I'm confident God's a better evangelist than me. I'm confident Jesus is a whole lot better at reaching people with the gospel. Yet, here I stand. Why? That's a certain level of grace and love to me and to you that we get to be a part of this plan. That we get to show one another love. And you know what it looks like to be the cool kids? That we get to see God's love living out and living through our life. And that we would start to do things with people and to people that the world does not understand. Things like actually caring whether or not you can pay your bills. You don't have a lot of friends like that. The kind of friends that will call you up late at night. My small group, they'll call you up and be like, hey, I need to move a couch. There was some couch moving going on this past week. I was out of town. And Rich, God love his heart, like, was the first to sign up for the couch moving. And you would think, at least I would say, like, if anybody else volunteered, be like, yeah, 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 let, let Jacob do it. Like, and Rich, instead, his response was, hey, Jacob, back off. I was first. I'm doing the couch moving. I'm like, this dude's cut different. Like, I'm always looking for opportunities to do nothing. Um, that's me. God's working on it. That's love. That's, that's different. That's different. And that's Christian community. That's heart for each other. That's why as you walk in the door, that's why we say as often as we may that we want a church that has a growing heart for God, heart for each other, which is Christian community, and then heart for our world. And this begins in small groups. This begins, if not in small groups, and you guys hanging out outside of this place. That you have some people in this place you can call and say, I'm having trouble. I, need, I just need to talk. I need somebody to sit with. I need somebody to come over and help me. You have those people, I hope. If not, they're sitting around you. You just haven't tried. You haven't reached out. Give it a whirl. These are some weird people, but guess what? They love you. And they love me still for some reason. There's some people who have been rolling with me for a while. What is wrong with y'all? And yet here you are. You're still here. Last thing. Growing up, growing in, and then growing in and going out. Growing in and going out as Christian ministers. Who's been given the work of ministry? The saints. Who are the saints? Every Christian. Every Christ follower is a saint called to the work of ministry. And now they're different. Verse 14 gives you this wonderful evidence that what it looks like now to follow Christ is that you know who you are, whose you are, and what you're about. You're confident in your mission. You begin to say, all right, I'm not going to be like a child anymore. And that's not a shot at little kids. However, little kids don't have a clue what they want. 
They are more than happy. If you have your little children, they're more than happy to drink all the caffeine in your house and eat all the sugar. You know better. You know that's not going to end well. So that's what Paul's saying. He's not knocking on them, but rather saying this is an immaturity that some of us are coming in, into this Christian walk with, and he wants to change us. That we would no longer be like a ship in a storm getting just tormented, but rather we understand the doctrine of Christ. We're not getting blown around. And human cunning, which is as real now and as obvious now, I think, maybe it's just because we're so aware of it now, that there's every opportunity to be deceived. There's every opportunity to, to, to see the schemes of man, maybe more than ever before. The idea of human cunning here in verse 14 is literally the idea of playing with dice. So literally that you would wake up every day and whatever you hear, you just roll the dice. Okay, I like, I like that layout. We're going to go with sixes today. Okay, interesting. Interesting choice. Rather than do that and constantly just be throwing spaghetti at the wall, throwing darts and seeing where they hit. No, I'm going where Christ leads. It's a simpler plan. He loves me. He cares for me. He made me. He knows what I should be doing. All right, God, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me? And go there. Honoring Christ as Lord. First Peter chapter 3 says, Make sure that in your hearts you honor Christ as Lord. Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope that you have. Be ready to give the reason for it. But do it gently and with respect. Do you feel like at this point you have... You have what... At least something I used to hear. And it was something we... A term we used to say in the army. And that is, do you have mission clarity? Maybe that was a term we used in my unit. I don't know if that was necessarily an, an army term, but do you have mission clarity? And I know this, probably in the corporate world, certainly in, in the military world, it's very important that you know what the mission is. It's very important because otherwise you're going to wind up in the wrong place, perhaps shooting the wrong people. <laughs> you don't want to do that. That's not good. And a lot of us are really good at the objectives. The mission would be the whole thing. This is the big mission. But we're really good at seeing objectives along the way. Here's my objective today. I, I want to be a good parent. Okay, that's a good objective. That's not your mission. Oh, my objective is I, I need to make sure to keep food on the table for my family. My friend, that's a good objective. It's not your mission. Not your mission. I want to be the most successful human being that's ever lived. That's not probably even a good objective, but it's definitely not your mission. If you can define success, maybe, correctly, then maybe that's a good objective. We have all kinds of objectives. And in, mission, in a mission, you know, you've got those along the journey. I know I've got to get these points of contact right, but my mission is this. <laughs> to look more like Jesus every day. To walk with Him closer every day. The mission is simple. The objectives begin to unpack from there. Do you have mission clarity? I know I'm a child, I'm a son, I'm a daughter of the living God. And because of that, I want to know my father better. I want to know who he is. I, don't know, I want to know what he wants for me. And I want to go wherever he sends. That sounds pretty simple to me. Now, I understand that that's difficult, but it starts with getting mission clarity and going, this is who I am, this is what I should be doing. What does it look like? What are my objectives then? Well, that changes your objectives, my friend, doesn't it? Now tomorrow, it's not so important that I get an extra 30 minutes of sleep. That does not necessarily help me with my mission, unless, like me, you didn't sleep much this weekend because my cousins rolled in town and tried to kill me and keep me up all night, right? I do need to get some sleep so that I can understand what even the word mission means, right? Because I'm just, 
a mess. But most of the time, mission clarity, knowing exactly what my mission is, means I need to get up a few minutes early because I need to know, God, what are you up to today? Because I kind of, I, I was walking with you some yesterday. We got a little off track, and I, I'm sorry about that, God. But today, like, what are you up to? And how can I get to know you better? Where do you want me to be reading? What do you want me to be praying? So that I can have mission clarity. Because I'm yours, and I want to walk with you. Are you about that? That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to walk with him. It changed all your objectives. <laughs> now you want to be a good father, not because that's your objective. Because that's what Jesus is. When Jesus gets in your shoes, he's a good father. He's a good mother. When Jesus gets in your shoes, he's a really good co-worker. He's the best. I want to walk with him. That's my mission. I want to know him and walk with him. Are you about that? Having a heart for God, a heart for each other, and a heart for our world. Now let me conclude this way. And I know some of you, you know, might be out of towners or whatever, and this is all like, Underneath the hood kind of stuff. But I want to pause for just a minute because it's one of my objectives for, I believe, the mission of God for our church. And I want to let you see that. I want you to, to hear where I think the Lord is leading us. And it's not rocket science because God gave us a commission. He gave us a commandment. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love others as yourself. Great. Understood. He gave us a mission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Got it. Understand my church mission. What does it look like where I am? You know what God did? He put us in this building. I don't understand it either. So if you're looking around as you drove in and going, why are there 50 U-Hauls out in front? And what is going on down there? They're storing Rocky Mount in, I mean, what happened? Some of you have been with us a while. This parking lot used to be just vacant. It was a filthy mess. So they cleaned it up and then put it full of stuff. Okay. Well, that don't make no sense, God. I don't like my curb appeal anymore, Lord, as a church. I don't know what to do with that. What's my mission then, God? Okay, I know, I know it's these things. And so I'm, I'm hearing from him. I'm listening to him. Our, our church leadership is, is walking with him. Here's what I've decided. Right now, we don't have anywhere to move. We have a little bit of money that we put aside. We did a campaign together over the last few years where we, we raised about $50,000 together that we have sitting in a bank account. When the Lord finally says, all right, here's a piece of land or here's, here's a piece of property, that's where I want you. But right now, I'm going to tell you this, I have no peace that, that, of where I should go. No peace. God's not like just revealed something to me. Feel free to drive around town and go, well, Jonathan, have you considered? Go for it. I'd love to know. Right now, I have no clue. So here we are. God doesn't seem to want me to move yet, want our church to move. If you get a sense of peace, share it with me. So what do we do then? Well, then this is our neighborhood. This is our, this, these are our people. And some of you know what that means. So, Nate, go ahead. I'm popping this up early, but go ahead and pop up this image. Uh, go, go ahead to the slide with the map. I'm, like, getting ahead of myself. I know that's really tiny, but um, it's way tiny. My bad, y'all. There's a star there that you can't see because it looks like a speck of dust on the screen, but that's where we are on 301. And to, our, to this direction is some of the most difficult, one of the more difficult neighborhoods in all of the city. And yet, I feel that, that that's what the Lord wants from, from us. Now, you continue in prayer and, 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 and let me know as, as the Lord leads you, but it seems to me that that's an area that most people don't want to go. And it's our neighborhood. 
And you know what I want to do as a church? I want us to begin to model the behavior that we should be doing as individuals. That what we model as a church is we care about our neighborhood. And what we model then as individuals is that we care about our neighborhood. So if I can help us as a church to do things, missional things, in a community where people don't necessarily look like us, don't necessarily act like us, there's crime, there's all this. I know all the data. I've done the research. I just don't care. It seems to me that's our neighborhood and that's what God wants. And I don't know, I don't know that a single one of these people will ever lay foot in this church, but I have a new objective. Well, an old objective, let me just say that, but just with some clarity. And so, pop this up. Our, go, back, go back to the top of this conclusion, Nate. We have a heart for God, a heart for each other, a heart for our world. Our mission statement is out of Matthew 28. Go to Matthew 28 and 8. It says this. I just read it. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is our job. This is our neighborhood. What does it look like? It looks like a, a, a whole lot of, of, of difficulty. That's what it looks like as an outsider. But I don't want to be an outsider. I want to live in that neighborhood. I want to, I want to figure out how to really dig in there. There's 95,000 people right now roughly in Nash community. There's, all you got to do is go on the other side. We're right here in Edgecombe County. And of those roughly 100,000 people, half of them claim to not go to church. So if anybody tells you lately, like, hey, you know, there's just way too many churches in Rocky Mount, just say, I'm not. Do you know that if every church in town, and there's roughly 250 of them, all were to gather those 50,000 people, every single church in town would be a megachurch? That'd be amazing. We couldn't fit them here. God's going to have to change, he's going to have to change our, our destination. That's a lot of people. Do we need more churches? I think probably so. It would seem so. Our focus, our 10-year vision, pop this up, is this. 10 years seems like a long time. Some of you are like, boy, I hope I'm not here anymore in 10 years. I'm pretty sure I will be. Every time I ask the Lord, to, hey, can I do something else? He does not speak. (laughs) And when I ask him, okay, what do you want me to do as a church? He says a lot. He's got a lot to say. So here I am and here I stay. 10-year vision that we would be actively collaborating with other gospel-centered churches in Rocky Mount Wilson And we pray a third yet-to-be-identified community in eastern North Carolina. We have a desire that God would reach eastern North Carolina. And we'd use our church if he's willing, if he desires it. Because, believe it or not, this is what some in our state call church graveyard. That if you go east of Raleigh, people aren't planting churches here typically. You know what churches are doing? They're literally getting old and dying. And it'll be us, eventually, if we don't do something. So I want to be a part of that. Collaborating has the idea that we start looking at our our church brothers at other churches and going, what are you doing right? How are you equipping the saints? How are you reaching the city? Let's do that together. Keep going. Next one. Our one-year goal is this, that we would implement a gospel saturation strategy. And here's what's under that. So that every man, woman, and child is having a repeated opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel in our circles of accountability for the, the two communities that we're currently serving, one in Wilson and one here. So what's, that puts meat, that puts flesh on the bones of what I'm speaking to. What we want to see this year is that we are beginning to give opportunities in that neighborhood for people to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. We're not inviting them to church. I know this is uncomfortable. Like you were already like, I don't know what this means, but if you're just talking about handing people flyers, I might... No, gospel conversations. 
how do we do things, spend our money, do our activities, do events, go door to door even? You're like, oh, you lost me. So that people would actually hear the gospel? And if they never set a foot in this church, that's fine with me. I just want to know, are we reaching our neighborhood? Have they heard about this, this incredible Savior? That's our one-year goal. Gospel, gospel saturation simply means this, that the church would begin to own the lostness of identified people in the defined place, ensuring that every man, woman, and child has a repeated opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our goals. So over the next 90 days, here's what I, first of all, I'm doing my part, which is to give you a, a vision, <laughs> and that was one of my 90-day goals. But part of those 90-day goals is that we would identify our, our COA, our circle of accountability, which is that neighborhood, and that we would begin to assemble what we're calling a local delivery team. And so I know who a few of you are in the room, those people who have a gift of evangelism. But perhaps you know yourself better than me. Put this into the connection card today. Call me this week. Let me know as we, you leave today. Like I'm really interested in being a part of reaching that community and equipping the saints to do that ministry. If that's you, let me know. Let me know today. Identify and set a date as well that we would begin the first effort there. I have no clue what that looks like yet. That's what I want to be about this year. You know what that's going to mean then, church? Guess what? We do a couple of random things throughout the year together. We do events and things like this. We've done trunk or treat out in our parking lot. You know what's not going to happen this year? Trunk or treat in this parking lot. We'll do trunk or treat over there somewhere. You're like, well, that'll certainly be haunted. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. There's a couple of organizations. There's peacemakers right there in the middle of our COA. They're trying to serve people with the gospel. They're doing educational kind of things. If you've got a gift of teaching, you might be able to help them right there with what they're trying to do. There's churches spattered through there. There's a, there's a community center there where the guy who runs it goes to our Wilson Campus Church. It's like God said, hey, hey, I got, I got an in here. I have no idea what we're going to try there yet. But we might do a trunk or treat in his parking lot this coming year. We'll start reshaping all of our events. For years, we've done the Blooming Festival in Nashville. I'm not confident we're going to do that this year because Nashville is not my neighborhood. Not that you can't do it. Hey, you guys go and reach people. Reach them in, in, in Timbuktu. You go for it. But what I'm trying to model is what are we doing in our neighborhood? And let's get like really efficient at it and serious about it. I hope this excites you. Maybe even if it scares you a little bit. I'm good with that because I'm terrified. I don't know what we're, what we're going to try to attempt for Jesus. I just know we're saying yes. Will you make the commitment today with me to grow up in your relationship and your love for Jesus, to grow in truth and to grow out and go out as ministers of the gospel, that wherever you are, and if you're visiting today, that no matter where God puts you in life, you would make it your goal to walk with Christ, to know him more, and that you would be given consistent opportunities for people to see, hear, and respond to the gospel in your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that first of all, you are a God who loves. That first of all, you are a God who set us free and saved us first. And that for whatever reason, <laughs> amazing to me, you decided to use us as your hands and feet in this city and surrounding cities and other places over the next decades, you'll be moving us all over the place. But no matter where you put us, no matter where you send us, we are your body. 
We are your mouthpiece. We are your hands and feet. We are your love and compassion, your grace and mercy. For whatever reason, you didn't do all of that yourself, but rather equipped us, inspired us, poured out your love in us so that we might be those to many others. I'm thankful for that, God. That you didn't simply set me free, but you set me free for a purpose. That I have a mission. That inspires me. I don't like to wallow. I don't like to feel like I'm not accomplishing things. I like to have a purpose. And I know what it is. I get to know you. If nothing else, that's a great mission. That I get to spend eternity just unpacking your eternal vastness. <laughs> the, the bottom that cannot be reached of a God who knows all, is all-powerful, knows things, has seen it all. Just, I'm thankful, first of all, for that. But I'm also thankful for a God who would say, I'm going to bring you in to the fold with all your baggage, with all your brokenness, and I'm going to use you for my glory. I'm so thankful for you, God. And I'm praying for your church this morning. I recognize that for a lot of us this morning, we fit in one of those categories of maybe we've been a Christian for a while, but we're just kind of stuck. We're wallowing. We're having difficulty seeing you in the Word. We're having difficulty in prayer. God, I pray you would show up in a mighty way this week. That whether it's in word or whether it's in prayer, that you would just show up in a, in a mighty way. Speak, in, speak in, into people's lives this very week as they commit to just know you and follow you. God, I lift, I lift up those people in the room that have a sense of or a lack of assurance. That God, what you, what you desire for them is not doubt or a lack of confidence. I pray for them that they would spend time with you this week and see that for themselves. That your love is more than enough. Your sacrifice is more than enough. And they can be sure. I'm praying for myself. I'm praying for your people. That you would use us in a mighty way to reach this city for the gospel. That this neighborhood that I believe you're calling our church to, you've left us in this site for a reason. That we would know how to give them opportunities to see Jesus. Dear friend, if this morning you've come here and it's not just that you have a lack of assurance in Christ Jesus, but you've not ever committed your life to Christ. And you're hearing all this wonderful news that Christ loves you and he died for you and that he, he'll save you and that you know, he will take your sin and that he will remove it and send it as far as the east is from the west and all this wonderful stuff. But you know personally, you've never said yes. You've never made that commitment. If that's you this morning and you feel the Lord knocking on the door to your heart perhaps you feel him drawing you in saying hey what's what what's the hold up what's what are you waiting on if that's you today pray a simple prayer with me a prayer of confession it says in his word in romans chapter 10 that if we confess with our mouth that jesus is lord and we believe in our hearts that god raised him from the dead we will be saved it is a move of faith is an act of confession. Pray with me if that's you this morning. Pray this. Jesus, I recognize that I need you. That I need a Savior. I can't fix my mess. I'm far from God. I, I understand all of that. 
But this morning, for the first time, I just want to say, Jesus, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I believe that you saved me by the cross, that you took my sin, my brokenness, my guilt and shame on the cross. You did that for me. I believe that today. And I believe that you are Lord of my life. And I'm making you so. That you are now in the throne room. That I would begin to step aside so that you would lead me. That I would go where you lead, not where I want. But, but what's even better, where you would lead. Jesus, you are Lord and Savior. And God, I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. And that resurrection gives me such incredible hope. And I pray every day, God, you would give me a deep sense of assurance. That you set me free and I know where I'm going. Dear friend, if you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. And we're praying with you those same things. God, give us a, a strengthening everyday sense of assurance that we know you're, we're your kids and we want to know you all the more every day. Move and stir in our hearts that you would use us in a mighty way right where we work, right in our families. We pray all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.